My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Well, welcome back, everybody, to an episode of Heresy Grad School, where we cover heresy as history. And we have a very special guest tonight. We have our very own Jesse, Ir Jesse Irvin from the main cast, who's the main producer, to come and hang out and talk to us a little bit about uh, Dark Angels and Xana. It's going to be fun. Well, hello. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for all coming into uh, my house. And oh. it's been great. Yeah, I was going to say, I think <laughs> it's super cute that uh, we're calling him the guest when we're at his house using his studio, his sound equipment. This is true. Yep. We it's are actually in the situation. depths of the Vengeful Spirit right now. So, Studio A. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we get to enjoy the fancy intro. I'm still running the soundboard. <laughs> So um, I think we're going to start off real quick with some uh, housekeeping, right, Dave? Yeah. So, guys, welcome back. This is Lesson 5. So we're going to go over pages 67 to 70 in Book 6, Retribution. Um, that'll take us from the wrath of the betrayed to the logic of survival. And um, so housekeeping, we've got a little bit to talk about here. Um, Pat, could you let our listeners know what the results of our Patreon poll are? And uh, for those of you not following along from home, uh, which should be everybody, but um, the Patreon poll is something that we open up to our Patreons to kind of let us know every once in a while uh, where to go with the next uh, cast. So... Yeah, it's just kind of like a nice little reward to our patrons. Um, but so, out of the three topics, right now it looks like we're going to be covering Olinor after this uh, with uh, six votes. So we put up on our poll, we put up the scouring of Nostromo, Olinor, and Chondax. That's right, Chondax. Mm. Nobody really cared for Chondax. <laughs> <laughs> Zero votes for Chondax. Sorry, White Scars players. Um if you if you're if you if you're into white scars or alpha legion you maybe get in get into some of the the business cuz uh we'll definitely go there at some point but um yeah so Pat, are we are we there yet what do you mean are we going to lock it down is is Ulanor the one yeah i think we're just going to lock it down it's got enough votes and i love orcs and that's where i'm going to keep it yeah there you go very yeah. cool very cool all right so Guys, as Pat said, we are recording from the bowels of the vengeful spirit. This is the retreat to go way, way, way back in the before times. Um, the retreat was what we wanted to call the cast uh, like a long time ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Actually, where... Matthew Boyce, I think, came up with that one. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, man. Shout out to Matt Boyce, wherever you are, dude. I, hope I you think can... he's stuck, still stuck in Korea, isn't he? I don't know. Somewhere. Hope you can come back sometime, Matt. Um, Garrett's got all your nights and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping, keeping, uh, taking good care of them. 
But um, but so yeah, so the retreat for those of you who don't know, which you should, is the bar that the remembrancers would hang out at, uh, at you know, in the vengeful spirit, mm-hmm. um, sort of a little rowdy at times, a little raucous, you know. People get together. The remembrancers would share notes about the various um, campaigns they were allowed to witness and stuff. So it seemed very apropos for where we wanted to go with the cast, and I think it's it's definitely served us well. Um, it's always and, been a tongue twister for sometimes. Oh yeah, depending on how much you drink beforehand, it's like well, remember it's a retreat. Yeah, it's just like a happy <laughs> medium, right? It's just yeah. like a little bit will help, but this too much will not. I always, I was like listening to other people's podcasts, and they'll mention us, and we'll be like the remember. I do it myself. So RR. Yeah, RR. Yeah. yeah, those RR guys. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, okay. That's why I get. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RR30K Podcast. Ooh. Very good. And follow us on our website at RR30K.com for podcast updates, army lists, Battlefleet Heresy, Strike Team, and other homebrew rules. Dude, you've gotten so much better I've, at this. Yeah. This is <laughs> just, just such a, like, this is so good. So We are humble. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, so, you know, we talked a little bit about this on the last grad school cast, Jesse, is sort mm-hmm. of why we decided to go off and do our own thing, uh, but then come back to the main cast uh, when we can. It's just we were taking up so much bands, bandwidth, right? It was it would just be like Jason and I talking for like 45 <laughs> minutes with like eight other people and it was listening. Good, and it was good stuff. It was, but I just also felt like... I think it works out really well. It does. Yeah. It does. And I mean, it gives the listeners like two different things to listen to mm-hmm. during a week or like in between two, weeks. Yeah. Two podcasts in one. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so really, guys, um, that's all I wanted to talk about. I hope you've been enjoying the sexy segues and the intros that we've added to our multi-part episodes. Um, that will continue to be a way we try to make them even um better for you guys so thank you for your support and we will continue to also do the uh, quirky news breaking news and lame jokes on the uh, standard podcast definitely <laughs> guys should listen to both yeah for some reason you only listen to heresy grad school go go listen to the main cast that if, <laughs> if you do anything go listen to the main cast um, yeah. if you, if you lif- listen to the remember yeah remembrancers retreat there I go again uh, listen to heresy grad school okay cool Cool. The Xana incursion. Death has reared himself a throne in a strange city lying alone. Hell, rising from a thousand thrones, shall do it reverence. Unknown poetic fragments collected in the Lexus Dramaturica, Saga M2. Part 5. The Wrath of the Betrayed to the Logic of Survival. Are we going to do that thing where we just talk over each other like nope. five or six that's, times nope, back and forth? No, no, no. That's, that's, that's that, our cast. This is your cast. I'm sorry. Continue. That, that's <laughs> the one joke I like from Letterkenny. <laughs> like if we could just do that eight times, that would... <laughs> <clears throat> How are you now? Give your balls a tug. <laughs> it took me so long to figure out that was just Jared Kiso doing a stupid voice. Yep. <laughs> In a wig. All right, guys. We are serious. We are here. We are professional educators let's talk about some dark angels uh making mischief in the atmosphere of zana one so last time we told you about that uh wacky dark angels flagship the dark sovereign 
kind of uh, coming out of the dark side of the moon and uh, really poking holes and stuff the uh, Xanites have going on. Thank you. Now, now you can look and read. Should oh. catch everything. Exceptional. I feel well taken care of. <laughs> so. We don't know how to read on the new cast, so we just oh, talking. Well. Fair enough. That is fair. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about what these dark angels are getting up to with the dark sovereign. They're clearly not in any danger of over-theming. So, in the debris field that they have created for themselves around the orbit of Zana 1, uh, this is causing a big problem. It's making uh, Gillum Ryzen, the uh, guy now on board the Mechanicum Crawler. He's the Archimagos Procurator. Uh, he's trying to look good. Uh, this is essentially his <laughs> job interview. At one time and a half. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're all just going to sweat in here. Okay, fair enough. Let's do a quick recap. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and we just let let's Jason let let Jason start again. At the okay, very sounds like sounds yep. like a good idea yeah. to me. All right, and I'm gonna go a little bit lower. I'm gonna get naked. <laughs> just immediately, first suggestion. I think I'm just gonna Winnie Pooh Winnie the Pooh this entire cast. Try that angle right there. All right, good. I think so. All right. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about what the Dark Angels are up to in the orbit of Zana 1. You got to get right on it to get that nice. Like this? Oh, that sounds oh. so good. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Does that sound do, exactly? Do yes, it right, does, actually. Right in the ear holes? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right, take three. <clears throat> good evening, Remembrancers Retreat listeners. Let's talk about what the Dark Angels are up to in the orbit of Zana 1. So, last time we were talking about how the Dark Sovereign comes out of the dark side of the moon and starts making problems for the Zanites trying to get their uh, onboarding shipment. Think of it like the, um, you know, initial membership payment to the Horus, you know, the War Masters Country Club. Uh, they're really... It's real nice. We got 12 holes. Yeah, right? They're all in space. But, uh... Things are not going so hot on the ground. Uh, Gilam Rajan, you'll remember him from last time, the Archmajos Procurator, uh, it's making him look a little rough to uh, Unkavar Noon and uh, Corridan, the emissary Horus is sent to uh, take care of this whole transition. So as they are on their giant Mechanicum land crawler, checking out these uh, Ordnatus Ulators, making uh, short work of wave after wave of useless tech adept and uh, loyalist POWs. Uh, it's looking a little awkward for him. Somehow this uh, Dark Angel's flagship has just slipped past every defense Zana has and uh, blowing up those uh, initial sort of payments to Horus. As they're looking on, uh, they can see, even from um, you know unaugmented uh, mortals, can see the uh, macro carriers in orbit, uh, blowing up as they're uh, standing on the bridge of this Mechanicum crawler. So uh, <clears throat> as uh, the Procurator turns to maybe make an exclamation or some sort of explanation to uh, Unkavar Noon, 
Uh, Noon's features uh, melt like wax before him, and faster than even the augmented reflexes of the Archimagos, uh, he gets stabbed right in the business and uh, by a roaring electroshock surge, uh, shorts out his power systems and his personal defensive field. And uh, <clears throat> this assassin gives him no quarter, neither does Corden, who uh, just pulls his head off with a power fist. And uh, suffice to say, he fails uh, his initial job interview. He will not be called in for a second follow-up in front of the uh, panel. Such a shame. He had such great promise. Right? Yeah, he definitely rolled one on that save. Right. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so when Unkavar Noon, who we know from last lesson, was the appointed emissary of Horus, right? So Horus chose a priest of the Davenite Lodge, right, Pat? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, w- which lodge did we figure out he was from? Uh, the Crow or Raven. The Raven Lodge. Yep. So this could be the first, one of the first instances that we've seen the actual, like, deployment of a Calidus assassin in the black books, right? Um, so w- what this means is Malkador's agents, whom we know from Nemesis, uh, Malkador was the grand master of assassins. Pat kind of cleared that up for me today. Um, who's also one of the high lords of Terra, which at the time was the war council. Um, so he was, he was very much behind this sort of assassination um, mission and we can assume the greater plot right the greater sort of complexity of deception here um so this delegation that was originally sent by horus to broker the treaty with xana must have at some point been intercepted and neutralized uh after it made initial contact with xana but before it could return to sort of broker the treaty right um, so, cause we, cause we, the Calidus assassin has taken on the guise of Unkvar Noon and Corridan is not Corridan. We'll find out who he is exactly very shortly, but it's about to get real good guys. We've turned the point of like all of the, the plots have been laid, right? The deception has been laid and now we're just, um, going to see where it leads. Jason, can you take us back? to that point. All right, let's see here. Next page over on Hour of Execution. So here's where the Xanites are right now. There's a big uh, void battle going on. The Amphion dropped out of hyperspace and started causing problems last time. And while... The Xanite Mechanicum are definitely getting the better of them. The problem now is all of their major void defenses are either engaged with the Amphion and its attendant flagships, or uh, they're out of ammunition. Like, a lot of their long-range munitions are just flat-out gone. Uh, All of their warships are engaged uh, with this Terran battle group. And more importantly, they're just too far away to actually defend the home forge world or protect those giant supply shipments that are basically just in anchor around Zana 1, fat and defenseless. And that's not terrific in any case, but when it's the Dark Sovereign 
basically attacking these giant art carriers with impunity, it's not a great idea for anyone. No, it's not. Um, and so, I don't know if we should talk about this right now, Jason. Are we gonna are we gonna pause or are we gonna keep going? I'm a fan of a little pause right here. A little pause. Okay, cool. A little pause. <laughs> so we we talked a little bit about the layered strategy that the loyalists have going in, um, and so we sort of start to see the depth and complexity of it bear fruit. So the Amphion and the Solar Fleet's arrival into the um, the system start to bear fruit, right? We start to see that the the, the punitive force that was sent by Dorne to Xana um, was really a lure. It was to it was to lure out the Xana Forge's um, fleet and void forces, and then to expend their long range munitions, so that the Loyalists and the Incursion Force uh, sort of have um, a little bit of room to to maneuver. And uh, I think that's sort of a good place to get back into it. So like Dave mentioned earlier, uh, Unkavar Noon is one of those creepy Kalidus assassins. But also, let's talk about Corridan here. So... As you may have figured out, he is not actually a son of Horus, nor are any of the sons of Horus uh, that are on board any of the Ordinatus Minoris engines. Now, they do specifically say these are not quite yet knight errants. Uh, these guys are the bitter fallout of legions who had turned traitor while they had remained loyal. And you might recognize this as a description of the Black Shields, and specifically, uh, their leader is Indrid Har, one of the coolest world leaders, short maybe just of Karn. Uh, <laughs> they're both Terran, uh, like Dave and I were discussing earlier. Uh, fun fact, uh, Karn is from the Urals, which is where his terrific audio drama accent comes from. I love that bit of detail. You mean the poor potato farmer accent that he currently has? It's good stuff. Yeah. So Indrid Har is uh, <laughs> pretty spectacular as a character, despite the marked disadvantage of being a sort of loyalist. Um, so what's gone on here? is they've completely infiltrated from the bottom up and essentially just respray-painted their tanks. And uh, so these two Mastodons uh, are now having a terrific time running down the escorting uh, Guardian Automata. Uh, the Tech Marines on board the Ordinatus Manoris macro engines are causing problems. And... This is a massive win for what's basically a small force. It's causing a huge problem, too, because they're, you know, these loyalist tech marines on the actual engines themselves are messing with the gen command schemes uh, by interfacing with the shattered remains of uh, Rajan to operate some of the remote releases on the collars of all of these, you know, slaves and POWs. And uh, they're now armed, 
well, I mean, they were during their own, uh, you know, sort of, you know, execution false war. But uh, this isn't a terrific situation for the Mechanicum anymore. And it's this, um, this entire deal is just to come by these Ordinatus macro engines. And while they're taking these down, uh, the Cicatrix Tyrannus is kind of dropping lower into uh, Zana Tisiphone's orbit. And it's placing the shadow of the moon between the ship and Zana too, kind of shielding it uh, from any of the potential fleet that can return. But it's kind of interesting because her crew is ignoring uh, all requests to attack the Dark Sovereign or aid in the defense against the Loyalists. Because, again, these guys are Black Shields, not necessarily Loyalish. We'll call them Loyal-ish, I think is fair. They're definitely helping out in that direction. But, um, yeah, so pretty good day for what's essentially a small pirate band, right? They got three Ordinatus uh, Minoris engines now. Yeah, I think it's it's been a really good day uh, for the Loyalists. And and I would go so far as to say that, like, these guys are, are pretty pretty hardcore, like, for the Emperor Loyalists. Um, not sure you could say the same thing about all Black Shields, but... Certainly, this this band of of uh, sort of uh, black shields is is pretty hard hardcore for the emperor, and uh, we start to see their strategy play out in even more depth. Right, so um, the action taking place right now is taking place on Xana Tissaphone, which is the site of the so it's an orbital site um, within orbit of of Xana two, and it's where the Mechanicum. Um, the Voidian Consistatory of Xana have their penal uh, sort of colony as well as their sort of research uh, station, right? So they conduct their, their sort of refer- forbidden research as well as their, um, they have a, a bunch of conscripts down there as well, which is why they were doing the weapons testing down there with the uh, macro ordinatus to begin with. So this is really um, an amazing Feet de accompli, right? So the Sons of Horus, who are not really the Sons of Horus, but they're this band of Black Shields, are able to take over three Ordinatus macro engines. Um, In addition to the two um, Mastodon carriers they have uh, on ground right now, I would just like to take a moment to appreciate the fucking majesty of that moment, right? (laughs) I mean, we're talking about, like, weapons of old night. And, and a Forge World, even a great Forge World, doesn't have that many. And so this band of, like, a handful of disparate space marines, right, are able to, to seize control of three of the most powerful old night relics, weapons, uh, and, and turn them against, basically, their creators, Classic A-Team shenanigans. Yeah, so good. <laughs> so good. Um, and we've been talking sort of the whole time through this this series on Xana how that's really what the Loyalists have to do. After the massacres at Istavan, they've got to inflict disproportionate losses on the traitors as they make their way back to the soul system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd say this is a pretty damn good contribution. And... I know it pains Jason and Pat to hear this. Uh, 
But uh, well played, loyalists. And here's another interesting <laughs> Easter egg. I know they're just they're like looking at me right now. Uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's something more important on my phone. If you'll just excuse me. A so here's another one of those interesting Easter eggs that that Forge World likes to sort of introduce, and then you know, 200 pages later, you get the rest of the backstory, right? So we're talking about Endred Har right now. So. We get a we we finally find out that uh, Corridon is not, you know, a Sons of Horus commander. Um, he's actually Endred Har, and so we're you know we're left to wonder who Endred Har is. Well, listeners, on page two hundred and forty six, uh, you can also know who Endred Car is. Uh, the dude is like really, really fucking old, right? Like he's like he's like was one of the first four gene battle brothers of the 12th legion yeah he's old for like space marine yeah even hell even primark at this point but you know yeah no i I mean absolutely uh he was maybe made at the same time as the primark project went south i i don't know but it's a good chance um he was part of the first initiate company of the 12th Legion before they even had the name Warhounds. So we do get a little bit more of his backstory in the red box on the left-hand side of the page. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if you guys are looking at page 246 right now, but he he just fucking looks badass, right? He's, he's just like giant scar running down his face. And those two studs that are sort of drilled into his, his skull are um, their service studs. So if you guys kind of dig into the, the lore a little bit, um, we know they can either be 10, 50, or 100-year increments, depending on sort of what their tradition is of the chapter in 40K or the legion in um, 30K. I would imagine this tradition is just getting started at this point. So he may be one of the first um, cases that we see. I mean, of there's this? no mention of it, like, with Thunder Warriors, so I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to be, like, it would have been brand new whenever he showed up. That's a really good point, Pat. Um, yeah, there's definitely no indication that Thunder Warriors adhered to this tradition as well. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, I can only assume by sort of what we know in the lore and, and the backstory that these, these are probably 100-year increments, service studs, if uh, we think of the initial blast off of, well, maybe, I don't know, what we know of the um, Unification Wars 800, M30, um, and then 800s M30, I think. That sounds about right. Jason, I'm looking over at you like, thinking you, you probably know these dates maybe a little more than I do, but that sounds roughly about right. I so. think 800s, M30, and then and then we, so we're up to like 009, M31. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are 100-year increments. This dude's been, this dude's been fucking kicking indoors mm. and taking names for probably a couple hundred years. Um, I do like how this sort of plays on that theme of the initial Terran gene stock being just so much more loyal to the emperor than what you get later on, you know, 
uh, in the recruitment drives of uh, of these uh, traitor legions and Primarchs, right? Ooh, and I know you were talking earlier, like his black shields are sort of maybe loyalist, and it's funny. One of his special rules is straight up called Agent of the Emperor. Yeah, yeah. And I actually never realized this looking at his stats that you can take him in any loyalist army, and he's a powerhouse. You can. If you'll notice that uh, <laughs> lovely toughness five, which Ugh. means he can soak that power fist straight to the face, <laughs> not care, and swing right back. And while he's in play, pick up the three power armored infantry units with Legionis' Astarte special rule, and they do not have dedicated transports, they can they gain the scout special rule and cannot be pinned during the game. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But it's super thematic against mech. Think about it, because almost every mech player that I know has cast lags. Like, there's no point in having a mech list if you don't have cast lags. And you have Mauler Bolt Cannons, which pin, so it, like, makes perfect sense. You know, these guys are going to be charging through cast lags fire. I can't remember off the top of my head. Does Scout count as a movement on the first turn? Or no. It, you put your heavy weapon infantry, mm-hmm. give them Scout, and then suddenly... You have a pretty good do, command of the board. Isn't it initial setup, then you scout, yeah. and then the game turn starts? Yeah. I think is, is how it goes. So you can put... Oh, the possibilities are endless. I'm actually starting using this guy. <laughs> I know. I, I've never seen this guy in the wild. Me neither. But One in, tiny, tiny downside. He's a Praetor in absolutely every way. Has that toughness five, but he's mm-hmm. only initiative, initiative. four. Mm. Mm-hmm. And 99 times out of 100, it's probably not going to make a difference because he uses a power fist, uh, except against the offhanded blind check. Mm-hmm. He yeah. doesn't give you that boost to initiative five to try and avoid it. Mm-hmm. That's when you put him in a squad. Um, you don't take him as the HQ. You put him in a squad. And then he just becomes an agent of the emperor and kicks ass. So, yeah, I would love to see this guy in the wild. I'd love to see... I, this guy should have a character. He should have a model. Running with some Dark Angels for some Xana action. Fuck yeah, and dude. Boom. There you go. Cool. I'm yeah. set. Yep. All right. Jesse's going to change new, his Nova list. my new favorite guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Talos? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Deadly. Anyway. So I think we've we've sort of solidified the fact that if you were born on Terra and you were part of the initial sort of induction into the Legionis Astartes, uh, you you you're super hard for the Emperor. Um, you you say that, but but look at look at what happened. So sorry. As soon as the Horse Heresy starts, almost all of the Loyalist Legions like kill off their their Terrans. Because their Terrans suddenly go traitor. Wait, what? Or, or several of them go traitor. Is it? All right. Jason, back me up on this. All right, a couple of things. I think you're right in most cases, but I think there are two standouts we should talk about. One are the Night Lords. Thank you. The Terran Night Lords got along famously with the Nostroman Night Lords. They had one of the easiest, like, kind of meldings once they found their homeworld. And uh, the Night Lord Gene Seed actually manifests kind of neat in a different way in Terrans than it did in Astramans. So, uh, turns them all into Batman. Kind of close. (laughs) Is it the lack of vitamin D or what? Yeah. 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 They just walk around and keep on saying, I'm the Knight. But so, one of the interesting things that they talk about, there's a very cool little short story. Um, I forget what it's called, I think it's Child of Night. 
but it's this little itty bitty short story on Felzarost, the uh, chief librarian for the Night Lords, and what it was like in the underground prison, which where is where most of the original Terran induction for the Eighth Legion came from. The gene seed of the Night Lords in Terran Marines causes their teeth to grow in sharpened without the need to file them, like was really popular in the um, the Shredder cult gangs in Nostromo, mm. which is kind of cool. But it's something I'm going to touch on later uh, whenever we do the uh, scouring of Nostromo. Yeah, man. Because I got so many conspiracy theories about that business. <laughs> no, it's so good. But then in the other direction, uh, what's his face? Uh, Korax famously had a mad on for his Terran Marines, uh, tried to get them killed at gate, what was it, gate 64? And then when he couldn't kill all of them, he just sent them off into the outer darkness on, like, you know, super important mission out there, out of sight of the edge of galactic space. You'll figure it out eventually. Yeah, that was sort of his Istvan, right, without being an Istvan. But, I mean, I think, yeah, but, and, and then the other example I'm sure you were going to say is the White Scars. Yeah, that that's where I was kind of going. Yeah. That is yeah. a good point. Where Khan's just kind of like, eh, fuck these guys, let's kill them all. I'm not going to lie, with all of the, uh, with the naysaying on White Scars in Book 8, my only disappointment was it did not give me a, a traitor White Scar character. Yeah, right? Not a single Loyalist oh, super Legion. Super oversight, man. Yeah, not yeah. a single Loyalist Legion has a traitor character option where more than half of the traitor legions have a Loyalist option. Mm -hmm. But if it was going to be one, White Scar seems like the one to do it. Mm. Mm. Give me my Torgon Khan. Right. Like, I, right. I don't care if he can't be used past, you know, a certain point. I'm okay with that. He was cool. But at the, I mean, before we go into the, the next segment, I kind of want to pick Jesse's brain on this exact topic. Do you oh, boy. Think, Actually, that's an erect? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. All right. No, no. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, do you think they're going to give rules for Luther? And if so, do you think they'll make him traitor? Um, so here's the thing. Luther, potentially, I mean, if they have Corferon right. as a character i can see luther potentially i could also see uh, maria astalan mm -hmm. as a character we'll say for the most part the uh the calibanite and the more or less traitor dark angels are more like black shields in a way yeah less emperor driven but not necessarily aligning themselves with horus yeah they're more for caliban for mm -hmm. their order it's kind of that's Every single story or every, every single like snippet of lore that I've heard about them, that's mm -hmm. that's always how I've 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 seen them as well. Yeah, so they yeah. may not necessarily be taken as. I mean, I guess they could take. It's hard to say, but potentially some sort of other faction. They they're, could be they're a lot more like black the, shields, perhaps. They're like the Alpha Legion. Like they have their own agenda. Yeah, right? they're not suborned to the dark gods, right? Mm -hmm. They're not like in allegiance with, like, War Master Horus and the Dark Gods. They're sort of like, we're going to side with you and then or see a, what it can get us. A very simple way to fix that also would be just to uh, not say they belong to a Loyalist or Traitor Legion, just leave them as is. Yeah. Legionus Astartes, Dark Angels, and do what you will with them. Yeah, that'd be cool. You heard it here, here first, folks. Dark <laughs> Angels aren't traitors. I mean, granted... A few did try to assassinate the emperor, but you know. Yeah, 
Shit. Well, water under the bridge. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who hasn't when they first meet the emperor? Right. Which it's which like... planet hadn't tried to kill the emperor <laughs> on their way? That's like a handshake, basically. <laughs> yeah. All right. Emperor's. Yep. This is the place. <laughs> Definitely. My son is there. There's a primarch <laughs> around here somewhere. All right, but if they end up not including Corswain, I'm going to be a little upset. Yeah. Me too. I feel like they, they, they will. They have to, right? There needs. If they to got Raldoran, they'll have Corswain. There has to be. I because mean, if I don't get like a Savitar v Corswain Savage Weapons like mm-hmm. little mini diorama, I mean, how cool would that be? Hello. Well, but the problem with Savitar is he's already got a diorama to himself. They can fix yeah. that in post. I mean, they had they made a whole separate base for. Russ and Magnus. Oh yeah, they made that whole diorama base. Huh. I always thought it came as one because nope, you can buy it. Well, I don't think they sold well, no, it. Anymore. I mean originally. Ah, yeah, yeah. That being said, uh, where was I going with this? I'm really excited to see what the character models look like. Yeah. As much as the Legion specific models have been looking. Oh my god. So what you're missing right now, listeners, is Jesse is pointing out, pointing to this pile of the beautiful Dark Angel models that have recently come out that the has almost gotten me to play one <laughs> this close. But I don't think it's going to happen. Probably not. That's okay. It's it okay. Ta- it, ta- it takes all kinds, especially uh, when you play there. I'll just wait to get beaten up by them at Nova. That's all. <laughs> no big deal. It's going to be good. Now it's just a matter of seeing if the book will come out before Nova or not. I mean, they've got to release it before Nova. They've they've released so much. I, don't, mm, I mean, granted, I think how how long was it? I know we're going on a tangent here, and I apologize. It's how long was fine. it before they released the rules for Sanguinius? Before they released Book Eight, it wasn't very long. I don't want to. Maybe a month is is two months max, I think. But the yeah, book's got to be written because I think they released well, yeah. they released the model. Then they're like here are the rules like a week or two afterwards when everyone's like what's the rules for him but do, you know they're gonna juice it for or they're gonna squeeze it for as much as they can get out do we of know it. if if printing's been moved to the UK or not no idea mm-hmm. yeah so, so so I mean t- to me right that's gonna be the that's the mm. the delta especially with the current uh, yeah atmosphere yeah shipping delays and everything so yeah. But um, but yeah, it's gotta be. It's gotta be written, man. It's gotta be done. It's it's on a boat somewhere. It's on a boat yeah. somewhere. <laughs> they yeah. gotta keep it safe from scurvy and coronavirus. So anyway. um, yeah. So let's get back here, guys, to to the story at hand. Um, I will just fall back and say that I think the whole Terran Gene Stock thing being more loyal is 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 pretty solid. Um, but for a few circumstances, um. Yeah, I think that's the story. Head, of, head yeah. off the base. I can hear the, uh, oh. the metallic clicking. I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> uh, I think that's the story of of, of Nathaniel Garrow, and uh, and and sort of that's why so many of the uh, the Terrans were purged during um, the Istvan massacres. But uh, I just want to just return very quickly to to the action that is ongoing right now at uh, on Xanatisiphone. And if we turn very quickly to page 74, we get a beautiful f- full-color plate of uh, the Forged Tyrant, Arud Vaughn, who is uh, part of the Xanatu Infiltration Force. So this is one of the tech marines um, that is 
able to capture and overcome the Ordinatus Minoris Asherax. Um, <laughs> he is um, just a super badass. I've never seen this model before. Do we have a model like that? Yeah. Oh, we do? It's the yeah. Mark IV Tech Marine, I think, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. f- fucking badass, dude. My bad. Um, <laughs> Get you one. But Treat yeah, yourself. You know, right? I play this game. Um, <laughs> so they tell me. So what they so what we know is of the twelve tech marines uh, of the loyal legions, so the black shields that um, entered into the heart of Asherax, right? So that went down into sort of the c- control node. Only five are going to survive sort of that attempt at overcoming their um, data gene and and sort of uh, protocol incursion. So. You know, he's obviously done the same thing here as, as on the um, the Macedons. He sort of crudely approximated what a Chthonian um, would look like, a Sons of Horus would look like. A lot of that is, is probably, you know, just based on pick feed and, and deception. But it, it worked on Xana. It worked because, uh, like we talked before, the, the Magi of Xana had very little experience with sort of the heraldry of the War Masters Legion. And we're going to get into a heraldry heavily um, with, uh, with Jesse. Uh, heraldry is something that we, yeah, we, we do heraldry on, on Heresy Grad School. That's one of the things we, I like to do. I like to unpack a lot of that sort of symbology. Didn't we go through like two episodes of like just discerning what's on the back of a Titan? Yeah, we at least two. Um, I will say before we move on, uh, for those of our audience who's also into 40k, listen to Hell's Reach. There's a very good portion of it where a Black Templar tech marine tries to take control of a Ordnant Ascension and just like his internal monologue is him fighting against. The machine spirit, because it's a, it, it's just this apex predator of a machine that's yeah. just trying to take over his brain. Oh yeah, and it's insane. Like he, the the book talks through talks through like the protocols that he has to deal with, and like even just for to like move at twenty five miles an hour is a strain, you know, and he can only get one shot off. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I fucking love the the whole like going into the new sphere and like and like data hacking into mm-hmm. the fucking brain pan of uh, the Arc Magos of Xana 2. Uh, did we, have we talked about that yet? No. Okay, Jason's shaking his head at me, so like no spoilers yet. Mild spoilers. Mild spoilers. Mild spoilers. All right, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to hand it back to, to Jason. Uh, one important thing I think we should discuss before we get off page 74, though. So at the bottom left there, that crude approximation of Chthonian heraldry, if it's just an approximation, do you just think they like threw a couple runes on there that look good? Is it like one of those deals where people go to get like a tattoo in a language they don't understand? And it's, it's just, just a chicken bunch- noodle soup instead yeah, of bravery like, or something like, bunch, like that. It's like a bunch of nonsense words in Chthonian. Yeah. Like, I don't know, cat garbage pan. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think you uh, should. He is of the ashtray clan of Chthonia. Yeah. Yeah. Be a badass tattoo though. If you just got all of those, I just thought about that. You just got all those tattoos. And and you could just make it up. You could just say it means whatever you want it to mean. You know? Yeah, but what happened if you like run into the one Forge World guy? Yeah. Like it's something he was like, dude, what what do you have like yeah. you know, cat garbage pan ashtray and Chthonian like tattooed on your arm? That's be awkward. That would be, would be awkward. Yeah. Right. And you want to make a good first impression with those guys. You do. 
We should write Forge World before we do that. Be like, what does this really mean? <laughs> can, just, you, can you translate, please? <laughs> I just want to make sure this isn't anything like ridiculous before I permanently ink it on my body. That's right. That's right. We'll let you know. You know, maybe just a tramp stamp in Chthonian that says Horus for life or something like that. All right, guys. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get back to the story here and uh, Jason. Where are we? Uh, well, we are on page 69, and uh, I'm going to turn this over to Jesse for uh, (laughs) the Fury of the Dark Sovereign. Okay, well, i got to say, I don't speak as eloquently as you guys. I might be reading just straight from the book. You guys uh, do a really good job at paraphrasing everything, and I've been pretty impressed. Oh, no, we absolutely fake it. We're just good at it by now. (laughs) Just smile and nod. Just seems like you guys smile been, and nod. Seems like you guys been doing this for a while. So, okay. Here we are at the Fury of the Dark Sovereign. Page 69. In the debris ring that orbited Xana 1, a great and violent tempest had been enacted. One after another, the huge freight ships of the supply fleet, heavily laden with munitions and other volatiles, were torn apart by the Fury of the Dark Angel's warship's attacks, or were set in burning and left bleeding their disintegrating cargoes into space. The macro transports, some tens of kilometers long, never intended for war, and no arms or defenses of their own enough to answer such a deadly craft as the Dark Sovereign. While their ungainly bulk would have been made escape impossible if they had not been caught at the station by the blade-like predator ship, as the Dark Sovereign reaved her way through the great arc of supply vessels, Cannon blazing as she went, she reached the core of the fleet, where the most valuable prize vessels were kept, brazen hold mechanicum barks, 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 and stasis vaulted dromans, mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. drawn up into a defensive toward formation. Compared to the dull hulks of the macro freighters, these transports had teeth enough to answer their attacker, and as the dark sovereign plunged down amid them like a knife from the dark, the barks' coordinated batteries opened fire on their attacker, lancing the void with blazing streams of superheated plasma and golden beams of coherent energy. The Dark Sovereign's shields flared as Barrage found her, silhouetting the blade-like ship of corona, in a corona of light, but she came on undaunted, for this was a vessel of the First Legion and a veteran of centuries of nightmarish war amid the Dark Stars. Instead of the close pass to bring her weapons to bear with maximum effort, which naval doctrine dictated and the Mechanicum's logist cogitators had no doubt also predicted, the Dark Sovereign dived into the heart of the defensive formation, her guns suddenly silent, all available power directed to her shields to weather the storm of counterfire at point-blank range. She passed her first prey at a scant few hundred of meters and a talon of Charybdis, Charybdis assault claws stabbed out from the Dark Sovereign's flanks to bury themselves into the Xanite Bark's hull. The Dark Angel's warship rolled as she sped by, and more assault claws speared into a second bark, too close and too swift to be intercepted. A squadron of Cestus assault rams broke from the Dark Sovereign and peeled off in the wake of the warship's blazing engines to find prey of their own as the Dark Angel's ship found her target, her final target, a lost, almost crystalline void Drummond, designated now the Mu-571, a singular ship which was perhaps one of the Xenos origins before the Mechanicum had spidered their own steel-gray workings across the white quartz hole. The MU-571's own drives burned white-hot as it tried to escape imminent collision, but did so in vain. The armored belly of the Dark Sovereign smashed the, dark, the Droman's spine 
and flew on, shredding the MU-571's void shields to nothingness and sending the ship tumbling out of control. As in its heart chambers, reality split open and the black armored figures of Dark Angel's Terminators manifested into the lightning crackle aftershock of their teleporter assault. So good. So the Dark Sovereign's just going. Balls to the wall. Going ham. It's like, okay. All right. Wild speculation here. Uh-huh. Uh, what Xenos species do we think the uh, new 571 came from? So it does talk about it being crystalline, which I know is could be Eldari, but I also wonder if it's because we talk about the fall incursion and that kind of stuff, or we talked about it early on in the in our segments. wonder if it's a fall ship. A frawl? Yeah. Because we don't necessarily have good descriptions of frawl ships. Yeah, they're different, though. They're circular. We do have some... We have some pics of them. They're like... Okay. They're sort of... Yeah. Definitely different than, than I think, the description of this. Crystalline does kind of say Eldar to oh, me. So much. It, just, it sounds that kind of fancy. Yeah. You know, that they're yeah. pretty, pretty... A white into. quartz hole. Yeah. yeah. It almost sounds like a wraithbone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I think, I think this this just just speaks to like the Xana Forge being on the very outskirts and border of of the Imperium, and just this is the withhold this is the withheld fleet, right? This is this is why both the War Master and the Emperor sent delegations to Xana saying. You know, whose side are you on? Because they had this just massive reserve fleet waiting in the debris field of Xana 1, right? The gas giant. And so, um, yeah, this is, uh, this, is, uh, this is really cool, Jesse. What do you think about this? Yeah, like, I don't know what to say. It's just like the Dark Sovereign as a really special type of ship. I I hope one day we can see something of that nature. I've been reading the Lion's Primark novel, and unfortunately they haven't had any mention of it, which I'm a little bit sad about, but it's such a unique little bit of fluff. Yeah, really. I mean, like How many other Legion, like, I haven't delved into these as much as you guys have, but what other Legion has, like, a special ship of unknown origin of that nature? I can't think of any. No. And I mean, every every Legion's flagship is, is a little different, but never mm-hmm. this different, you know? Right. This isn't even the flagship. This is like... There was one in Nemesis, actually. Oh, yeah? The uh, It wasn't a ship that was as, as uh, sort of aggressive as the Dark Sovereign. But you remember the ship that was the strike team got on? It It's in the back of my brain right now. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um... They had the sort of super sophisticated warp drives. They were able to sort of knife through. Um, we'll figure it out, but it's sort of it was very. Didn't Loken and his strike team use something similar in yes. in uh, Vengeful Spirit when yes. they tried to assassinate Horus? Yeah, yeah. But I'm also trying to, like those were fairly small ships. They too. were right. They Whereas were. this like, is this the is size a, of they're, a... they're launching. Cestus Assault Rams, yeah. Caribdis Assault Claws. So this is Gloriana class, mm. probably. So. I don't know. Maybe a little smaller? Big. I don't know. I wouldn't say Gloriana, but it's definitely... It's got to be bigger size. than a than a, um, than a a normal Space Marine Strike Cruiser, though, I imagine. 
I feel like they mentioned it earlier on in this. I don't think this was the first mention of it. No, it definitely wasn't. Um, it was cap. It was it was found on Ganymede in the in the frozen depths. It was a relic of old night. Maybe the maybe mm. maybe the age of technology, but um, the emperor himself digging it out. Yeah, right. Page sixty-seven. Oh yeah, nice, dude. Yeah, the emperor himself gave this to the first legion. I mean, the first legion got all the cool stuff, right, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, I've been reading the Primark novel. Yeah, we got some good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No mere legionus Astartes strike cruiser but a lone relic of old night. Mm. So, That's all we've got to go on. Yeah. yeah. No real uh, description of dimensions or of anything of that nature. Very cool. That is maybe the most frustrating part about <laughs> this entire section. Yeah, yeah again, another uh, Dark Angels mystery. Right. I want, I want <laughs> details. I want to know like what its dimensions are, what kind of class it is, what weapons it has. Crew size. Right. How many toilets are in, like, the lion's bunk? I want to know. <laughs> the man's got to go to the bathroom. Um, I know. Part of me wants to, like, I don't know why my brain is making this association with the uh, sisters' black ships. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, maybe it's just the name. Um, it could be. But, like, because it's it's described as having all this old technology, and I'm thinking also the sisters' black ships are, like, virtually impossible to see and, you know can pop in and out of the warp wherever the hell they want to, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, I have a really unfortunate uh, mnemonic device. Mm-hmm. Whenever I hear the word sovereign, mm-hmm. I think of the sovereign from the Venture Brothers, and all I can think of is David Bowie now whenever I see the word sovereign. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> it's just... It's unfortunate. <laughs> Worth it. It was so, unintentional, but there it is. So, I mean, but Jesse, you and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording, and that the first Legion as the first legion was created by the emperor, um, had a very special mandate that could explain why they got a lot of this very rare sort of war material, mm-hmm. relics of warden, old knight. And and we touched on this a little bit three or four episodes ago, right at the beginning of Xana, when we mm-hmm. talked about the um, uh, the Rangda, right? And so how, mm-hmm. the, how the first legion essentially spent almost half of their strength mm-hmm. against the Rangda that... The, the Rangda were not the only Xenos species that the First Legion had to go up against. Do you want to tell us a, a little bit more about sort of that? Uh, so I will say in the Lion's Primark novel, they don't really touch on any of the other Xenos. Okay. They do talk about the Rangda. Okay. And what a uh, just an impression that left on the Legion afterwards. Because this book takes place like months after the xenocides. Really? Yeah. Oh, nice, dude. It mentions, I don't, minor spoilers, major spoilers, minor spoilers, that uh, only the line himself knew what the final toll was on the Dark Angels. Huh. He, wouldn't get, he wouldn't let any of the other superiors know. He's, he left that to himself to carry that burden. Don't, don't feel bad about spoilers. We're, we're the book <laughs> nerds in this one, so you're good. Um. But, um, yeah, touching on the somewhat important sanction that the emperor gave to the uh, dark angels. I'll read a little bit of excerpt out of here uh, on page 100. 
The wolf king boasted to all that he was his father's executioner. He was a deterrent, a hound to snarl from behind a sealed gate, never to be unleashed. What the lion was to his father did not speak to its name so brazenly. For where Russ was warning, the lion was a solution, the final solution. He was emperor's exterminator. So badass, dude. <laughs> no, it's it's so good. And I just, I hope we see more of this in book nine. Yep. And yeah, there's all sorts of good stuff in here. Another fun excerpt. Uh, even the Mechanicum did not know what terrible secrets had been locked away by the Dreadwing in chambers such as these. They're in a uh, Dreadwing weapons cache. If the machine priests of Mars should ever seek to turn against the Emperor's goals of galactic unity, then it would be the weapons of the Dark Angels that would bring them low. <sighs> Pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. I know you and I had a conversation about that that one where, you know, maybe they're going to get some special anti-mech bolts and things like that. Mm. Oh, and for you, Jason, we're talking about the models earlier, like with the Dark Angels and their big keys and things. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dreadbringer presented a thick iron key and inserted in a concealed lock. And then he just opens up this giant Dreadwing weapons cache. So, so yeah, the keys have a meaning. We were talking about it earlier. I love the ridiculous like dichotomy of paradigms of having like super technologically advanced space lasers from like before the dawn of time locked up in a thing that requires a giant ass metal key. Like you're in a jailer from like the wild west. That being said, you did have to go through a whole bunch of other uh, digital and biometrics to get to that part. But then you had to have the right. <laughs> yeah, the right. Nah, it's good. It's good. Well, to, uh, to get back to the action at hand, um, back to Xana. Back to Xana, we've got some Dark Angels that are just going um, fucking hard to the knife here, uh, doing Charybdis Assault Strikes and uh, Castus Ram Strikes. And so this, uh, this Dark Sovereign is launching out all kinds of... Um, we've got Teleport Homer attacks, right, going on here all with the intent of capturing the uh, most prized possessions of the Xana withheld fleet. So, Jesse, take us through some of the, the, the goodness here, man. We've got page 72 and 73 that are just mm. sort of dedicated to the Dark Angels' deep lore here. And I want to I unpack this with you. Yep. So this was also the first bit of artwork from the black books that you see of Dark Angels, which was really exciting for me. Yeah. Because, like, okay, so this is what they look like. I knew they were black armored. We had some of the models and stuff, like the shoulder pads and whatnot, but seeing these guys, especially that Terminator, oh, yeah. like really left an impression on me. It's like, this is badass. Yeah, man. So we'll start with uh, the Dark Angels Lance Decurion on page 72. Uh, a Sir... Pelagor Marner, squad adjutant of Eloy 7 Despoiler Squad. 52nd chapter of the First Host, Ordination of the Firewing, the Dark Angels Legion. Uh, Pelagor Marner was a Calibanite legionary of the Dark Angels, whose chapter was based upon the famed pre-Imperium warship, the Dark Sovereign, and whose presence is recorded in the Order of the Battle Logs for the Sibelius Campaign of 002 Mark 31. This was the last confirmed action of the Dark Sovereign prior to the Horus Heresy. The path and activities of the Dark Angels' relic warship between this time and its surprise attack during the covert operations known as the Zen Incursion 
remain unknown to surviving Imperial records, but evidence indicates that it was not part of the Marshall Dark Angels fleet during the Thromus Crusade. Uh, and Armor and Livery, which is a podcast, so page 72, and uh, you can find this somewhere. Uh, the insignia and ornamentation displayed by Lance de Curian Pelagor Marner is highly indic- eh, indicative excuse me, of the developed systems utilized by the Dark Angels Legion by the end of the Great Crusade. This combines elements of later unification era av-arm techno-coven glyphographia, <laughs> uh, early iteration Principia Bellicosa designated iconography for the Legionis Astartes, and elements of the distinctive heraldic devices of the feudal Calvinite culture. As is noted in numerous sources, this fusion language of livery was employed to deliver information on a, level of, on a number of levels by the Legion. These layers of meaning, being largely opaque to outside eyes, and may be only visible to certain individuals within the Dark Angels. Of further note is the armor, which is distinctive paravein subtype, an idiosyncratic variant of widely issued Mark II pattern produced by artificers of the First Legion and renowned for its enhanced void endurance and systems. So I will say as of right now, for the most part, a lot of the uh, iconography of the Dark Angels is still somewhat shrouded in misery. Yeah. I imagine Book Nine is going to delve quite a bit into it. I hope so. I hope so, too. Or else they'll just say, yeah, this is all secret. Nobody knows what this means. Continue on. So I wonder, because uh, Jason might be able to correct me with this, but I think Mark Four was the first armor that actually had the the head could actually move. Is that correct? That's how it started out, but I feel like they dropped that very okay. early I wasn't on. sure, because yeah. at least when you look at the armor, like the majority of the armor on this it's this color is separated is from second the... and then or second edition or Mark II, and then the helmet is very, very close to that Mark IV era helmet. Mm-hmm. So I was so yeah, drastically that... different from your standard Mark II, Mark III. Yeah. Yeah. If you Google it, you can find like the really old school charts of stuff from like I think it was from uh, one of the older Index Astartes, like circa early 2000s. It's like the anatomy of a suit kind of thing. Yeah, and it's very clear that uh, the original Mark IIs had essentially a fixed helmet. It was like an old school Iron Man suit. And <laughs> But uh, now it's like very clear when I think even in a couple of the color panels from book one, uh, Mark II armor has a very different look to it than like that older kind of mm-hmm. which is i feel like well so the reason i think it's so cool because you know mark mark doing mark three are these older patterns of armor and like that was when legions were legions you had you didn't just have a couple have a thousand space marines you had mm. hundreds of thousands of space marines sure so you could lose a couple guys and it's okay if they don't have their full line of sight that kind of thing yeah so looking on to this guy on page 72 so it shows the two shoulder pads we have the uh the white double-ended arrow mm-hmm. which most people are used to as tactical from 40k on up right which makes sense because uh, he is a despoiler squad so basically an assault or a tactical marine with just running around with a sword and bolt pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a white circled one in there on his knee pad there with some lightning bolts. I'm assuming that's what they refer to as far as the unification era techno coven glyphographia. Mm-hmm. Uh, on his left 
our right, his left shoulder pad, he has an emblem of the fire wing. And it resembles the consecrators uh, chapter emblem in 40K. All right. Yeah. Very close to it. So that's one of the wings. Reading the, uh, the Lions novel, the fire wing seems to be more of a search and destroy assassin type of wing. Like they're there to determine the greatest threat, move in, take it out, and get out. So it'd make perfect sense that he's a despoiler then, and so he's used to hitting fast with a with a bolter and a chainsword, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yep, and then you also have the classic Dark Angels Legion symbol on his left shoulder pad, our right. Um, fair as far as Dark Angels go, he has fairly few amounts of iconography on him. I will say. Um, with the release of the special edition of the Lion Primark novel, which I'm super happy I managed to get. Uh, if you look on the cover case, you have six M's, which represent the six wings of the Dark Angels, which is the Hexagrammaton. And uh, if you're looking at home, you can find this online. If you have it in your hand, it's awesome, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so looking at this, we have, starting from the left, moving our way to the right, we have a winged uh, delta, lambda. I don't, I don't know my Greek. It's the triangle. That's the delta, right? Yeah. Delta symbol. With an iron halo over it, which represents the iron wing. You have next uh, an hourglass with skulls on either side, which is also what I remember, right? The star phantoms, I believe, is that's the uh, iconography for them as well. Because I know it isn't officially revealed that the Star Phantoms are a chapter that originated from the Dark Angels, but I think it was always inferred. Deeply inferred, yeah. So I think this pretty much confirms oh, that. That's so good. Uh, you guys might be able to help me out on this one. It, it almost looks like a Rainbow Warriors emblem. This is the Stormwing, and I don't know too much about the Stormwing yet other than the fact that it is uh, breachers. It's their Marines, basically, getting onto the board ships and taking them out and you're talking about the the lightning bolt with wings correct yes so there is a warhammer community article that came out a couple years ago Mm -hmm. um that i just found uh it says the Stormwing. it's a very short entry was a formation used in the great crusade consisting exclusively of breacher squads with boarding shields the yep. Stormwing specialized in spaceborne spaceborne boarding operations. Well, that matches up with what I've been reading. So badass, dude. Yep. So uh, they'd be in those Charybdises and those those Rams that mm-hmm. we were just uh, talking about yeah. earlier. And I totally mentioned the hourglass with the skulls is the Dreadwing, obviously. Stormwing, lightning bolt wings. Pull up a picture of the uh, Rainbow Warriors emblem because I almost like I look at it and it's like that looks really really familiar. Which one are we talking about here? Uh, this is the Stormwing, if you look at that. Okay. And while they're looking at that, we'll go to the next one, which is the Firewing, the Consecrators. Like I mentioned, it's a uh, almost assassin-esque, seeker type of wing. Moving on from that, you have the Cross Swords of the Deathwing, which these are basically the elite fighters. These are the hand-to-hand combat specialists. 
So I see I see the the similarities uh-huh. with the rainbow wing. In this case, it's more of mm. the lightning bolt is the opposite direction, mm-hmm. and it's meant to be like the the lightning or thunder coming down into one. Makes sense. Like I said, I hadn't looked at that. I hadn't seen that symbol in a long time, but that was the first one that came to my mind when I saw it. They're also an ultramarine star. That's what I remember too. So. Just did we get a Dark Angels transfer sheet? We did. From Forge World? We did. Does it have all six it's of the hexagramicon? I believe so, yes. Oh, so good. I can pull it out. I'll bring it out here in a second. Yeah, man. Take a look at it. And uh, finally, the last emblem is the Raven Wing. So yeah. the Death Wing and the Raven Wing didn't change too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say the Death Wing is a little bit different. Death Wing in 40K is the classic Dark Angel symbol, except the, the sword is broken in two. So this guy, though, I want to ask you a couple questions. Yeah. I want to unpack this on page 72. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you some questions. If you don't know the answer, that's cool. No sure. worries. A lot of this is still shrouded, well, just shrouded you. No in mystery. Big deal. Not a problem. Um, so what is a lance Korean? No idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> is that like a rank or is that like a formation? So the way they talk about it, it almost seems like a rank, the way they describe it in the... Uh, the second uh, section says this insignia and ornamentation displayed by Lance de Curian Pelagor Marner. Sounds like it's some sort of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree because he's a squad adjutant, right? So he maybe he's a squad adjutant of a Lance de Curian spoiler squad. I fucking, I don't know, man. Another mention in the, uh, in the Lion novel. Yeah. Like they talk, several, they may bring up the point several times that the. Hierarchy of the Dark Angels is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly convoluted. Yeah, complex and convoluted, even to people that are in, right? Because you have circles within circles within Mm -hmm. circles, right? And a lot of it's clandestine, and you have to be sort of... Nightly orders, you have to be in the know. So when I think Lance DeCurian, I'm thinking, like, I mean, to, to... I guess make a similarity in, in our our military is like a lance corporal kind of sort of oh, yeah. situation. Yeah, and so that transfer sheet real quick. So maybe like a junior officer, like a junior junior officer. Yeah, it makes sense say. given his his sort of squad adjutant role. I think yeah. that would that that's solid thinking, man. Or I mean, I guess a lance corporal would be like more like an NCO, wouldn't it? Or am I thinking that correctly? Um, lance corporal Marine Corps. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that would be like the the corporal in the army and then who knows what the British military is because because really that's probably where they're pulling most of this stuff. It is. And and Decurian, if we were to look it up right now, Decurian may be something like a like a squad sergeant or something. Um in the Roman military. But um oh so good. Jesse just gave me the transfer sheet for the uh for the Dark Angels. Well, didn't give you. He's showing it. To oh, no, yeah, no, not not. He given. has fought tooth and nail. Yeah, to, I'm, not, to, I'm not walking out of this place with this. That's for sure. Um, I think my favorite part of that transfer sheet is oh, the, yeah. is the skeletons at the very top. I, that's that's <laughs> one of the things that I've always liked about Dark Angels. But you know, okay. So it, are we the baddies? Maybe looks like we've got most of the hexagramicon. Hey, don't here. make me take back the Dark Angels aren't traitors I, comment earlier. <laughs> I don't see the fire uh, wing. Jesse, do you? Here, take a look at this for me. Take a look at this for me. All right. In the meantime, uh, Decurion is a Roman cavalry officer in command of a squadron of cavalrymen in the Roman army. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. That totally works. Um, So, so yeah, yeah, like Lance being sub, so, like, he's the sub commander of a squad, or, like, 
That is interesting. No fire wing on this. I did not realize that. But does it have all the other wings? Oh, no, it's staring right in front of my is freaking it? face. Yeah, it looks so similar to the iron wing. Okay. But we've yeah, got it. Because they both have the uh, the wreath yep. underneath. Yep. But yeah, they're so all there. We've got the full hexagramican on the Dark Angels transfer sheet, confirmed by your guest lecturer, <laughs> Jesse. Um, so what else did I want to unpack here? Uh, there's so much, Jesse. Uh, wh- what what is the first host? Do we have any idea? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's. I mean, look at that whole list right there. Let's see, Squad Adjutant, the Spoiler Squad, Fifties and Shatterford host, Nation. There's like five or six different layers of right. You know, first host could relate <laughs> yeah. to Gene Seed. It could relate to just the squad in general. Actually, isn't it could that be a like a company? Isn't that a squad designator the uh, Blood Angels use too? Is it yeah. a host? Potentially, I feel like this is a greater body though. This is the fifty-second chapter of the first host, host, right? Yeah, I wonder if they use it like the Emperor's children use millennials. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind. Also, they, they, use don't, Gen they, X they don't mention. Like a company. Yeah. There's no mention of a company. Right. Maybe so they maybe that's host the... with company. So in <laughs> book nine, Forge World, we're going to need a taxonomy and a. <laughs> a good chance that all of this could be different. I require an appendix. Really thank that. you very you much. So? I, it could be. I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully they, they stay on point. Do we want to move Let's on see. to the uh, mm-hmm. cataphracty? Yep. Well, on page 73, you have an unknown Dark Angels legionary primaris. Uh, primaris? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? <laughs> Assumed. He's taller than everybody. What's going on? So yeah, assumed 13, 13th chapter of the third host, Terminator Assault Squad, ordination of the Death Wing, the Dark Angels Legion in the Xana Incursion. You had something, Jason? I may have figured out what a host is. Stay tuned. Okay. I'll keep on reading this then while you're looking at that. Taken from a fragmentary VizVox transmission recording recovered in the cortex of a fallen nanite mechanicum priest at the Battle of Gaunt's Hollow in 009.M31. This image is believed to relate to the infamous Xana incursion. Pictured in the record is a Terminator assault force engaging Thalax cohorts within the outer docking bays of a large void freighter. Provisionally identified from Iden iconography as the Thorn Macro 878, a former Chartist high conveyor subordinate by the Xana mechanicum faction prior to the incursion and included as part of their vast withheld fleet of supply. The identity of the Dark Angels Terminator shown in this picture, can, uh, picked image, excuse me, cannot be conclusively confirmed, however. From the insignia and armored armorial detailing, it can be ascertained that his unit is of the 13th chapter of the third host, a formation not meant to be assigned to the Dark Sovereign as a matter of course, and its involvement in the incursion remains a mystery. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have a slight just it might just be an artistical preference mm-hmm. on forge world or dark angels players but i've seen both the red and black checker pattern and mm-hmm. i've also seen the white and black checkered pattern is mm-hmm. there any significance in that or is it just kind of like not that i know of yet okay checker pattern is pretty popular but as far as the colors go i mean I, I know it's popular from an orc player standpoint but oh sure <laughs> as far as i can tell there's no um differentiate differentiating okay. those two right now. You got... Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, this. this. Oh, this is a rabbit hole. Oh, <laughs> where, where, what are you on right now? What's the source? Oh, goodness. Um, it's from book six, but I got to figure it out. 
All right. Anyhow, hold it. Before the creation of the first legion, each of the Legionis Astartes were organized instead into a formation known as the six hosts of the angels of death. With oh, each hmm. of these hosts having its own specialization and purpose during the Terran, yeah, during the Terran Wars of hmm. Unification, the six hosts had each been created by the emperor for a specific task or for a particular type of warrior. Mm-hmm. Their names, if any, uh, were unknown by the second century of the Great Crusade. So the warriors of each host could be called on when a particular threat situation presented itself. The leader of a host elected by his sect brothers rather than appointed by the emperor in those times would assume temporary command of a battle or campaign so their expertise could be deployed fully. It's not understood what happened to the hexagrammaton in the other legions and why its structure persisted only within the first. For reasons only the emperor knows, he chose not to continue with the six hosts and instead created the Principia Bellicosa to structure the Legionis Astartes along tactical lines which are now most familiar. Interesting. So that would lean to believe that the Firewing is the first host and the Deathwing the third host, which is interesting because I don't think they necessarily named them here. Yeah. Here, mm. Yeah, because following the first reunification of the Primarch Lionel Johnson, Lion incorporated the traditions of the six hosts with those of his own native knightly brotherhood known as the Order. Mm-hmm. Thus, the six wings of the First Legion were created. Wow. There you go. Now we can go down the rabbit hole of so which legion is which. So technically you'd be First Host and Firewing. Interesting. That is, that's some deep lore, guys. Yeah. So despite being a relatively minor, maybe, officer, it seems like he has quite the, uh, quite the skill set. Service. Yeah. Yeah. The pedigree, the, mm-hmm. the, the background, the Which prestige. Which is interesting because he also, it also mentions that he is a Calibanite. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really matter. Still call it the host. Oh, yeah. That's okay. interesting. I wonder if they, because he would have to be after the reunification if he was a Calibanite because he's not Terran. Right. But... Is this one of those things they just kind of hung on to in secret? Mm-hmm. Could be. Mm. It's like a really archaic name that maybe they hung I mean, on to. Because I don't think the Dark Angels ever went to the Princia Bellicosa. They just retained their hexagrammaton. Yeah. Mm. All right. Good times. We're learning stuff every that's right. day. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jason. That's, that's it, totally why we do yeah, this, guys. I, like I mean, that. literally why we do this. And we pulled it up within like three seconds of talking about it, too. So, like, <laughs> handy. Handy. Yeah. We do the work so you don't have to. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Going, continue on with the uh, Terminator, the armor and livery. The individual pictured here is armor and light production, forged modified cataphractii. Why did I say cataphractii? Pattern Terminator armor. Hi, hi, hi. With a livery and insignia unique to the later deployments of the Dark Angels Legion in the era of the Great Crusade and early wars of the Horus Heresy, as well as ornate depictions of his Legion symbol, the Aciarium the ancient Terran symbol of the angel of death of old night, and the cross blades of the order of the death wing, the legion's elite. Also in evidence are the star of the hexagrammaton, one of the more arcane and little understood of the legion's core heraldric, yeah, heraldric forms to outsiders, ciphered glyph forms of unknown meaning, and the award of symbolic keys to this legionary as recognition of some onerous duty successfully discharged. But saying so, yeah, this guy has a lot of stuff on him. He does. Yeah. He's wearing a lot of decorations. So starting with uh, his chest, you have the the death wing, cross swords. Behind the swords is the uh, star of the hexagrammaton. Oh, wow. I didn't even see that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what else he's got, Jesse? 
What's that? He's got some fucking keys, dude. He does have some keys. He's got some keys, dude. Yep. So he can probably unlock some fun stuff oh, at some point. Oh, shit. I just noticed that. Yep. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> they say in, in, in this book, it mentions there are symbolic keys, but oh, yeah. now we know. It opens up the work probably, closet. It's probably the, a good uh, chance. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if those keys are the same keys that we got in a little bit of a, a sneak peek here, a little bit of a release. I mean, Ooh. it's, yeah. That's got cool. That's keys. a cool theme, though, man. It really is. I like that. I like that. So you also have the, uh, you have on his right leg, on our left, a one and a three, probably a 13, assuming mm-hmm. he's from the 13th chapter. Yeah. Which is funny because if you go over back to 72 and look at the Lance DeCurian's shoulder pad with a 62 on his shoulder pad on the left, if you look up, it says 52nd chapter. I don't know if that's a typo or not, or it's just a, some more uh, Dark oh, Angel shenanigans. Right. No, you're right. Subtract by 10, boys. <laughs> no, wait, 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 what are you saying on the, on the page 72? Yep, so if you look at the top... It says that he is part of the 52nd chapter of the first host. Yeah. I look down at the I don't bottom. Look at down the bottom. It says 62 on his uh, shoulder pad. Yeah, it's got to be a typo. I think it's a typo. Got to be a typo, man. Not a huge deal, but kind of funny. Um, then you also have on back to the Terminator on his left, our right knee pad. You have a red star, white circle, mm-hmm. and what looks like a DW, which I'm assuming stands for Deathwing. Mm. Pretty on the nose. Definitely. And a three in there, which I'm assuming probably means third host, if I had to guess. Yeah, you're really good at this. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much all the uh, iconography that really means anything right now. Cool. So we'll see how, how much this differs. Because this was written, book six was what, three years ago? Almost four years ago? Quick, go to the published date. I want to say. I think I started this four I years, mean, that yeah. sounds about right. Because I think I started playing Dark Angels and had these little rules that I've been living with for four years now. Yeah, because you were playing Dark Angels when I, when Jason it's, was like, "Hey, why don't you play Sons of Horus?" And that was it's been what, my first three years ago, two, three years ago, something like that. So it, it's been my baby. And let's see, looking at copyright, there's no number for the copyright, which is interesting. It's weird. I want, I want to say it's like at least three or four years ago. Though. I'm sure if you looked at the ISBN, if you yeah, bother to look at that, you'd find, find it. it. Not a huge find deal. It. Like I said, I had this when I first started, so I think it's like four or five years. So that's the challenge to the listeners this episode. Figure out when the book was released. But yeah, that pretty much covers the two Dark Angel uh, characters in this novel, in this book. So, so to Jesse, does that sync with what we know about Book Nine? I mean, so far, uh, what little we know of, yeah, I'd yeah? say so. Okay, cool. Which, like I said, there hasn't been a huge amount of lore given yet. I will say now, I think about the uh, the Deathwing companions, which are new models that are coming out. They introduced the bone white armor, and as is that the new fluff, command squad kind of so, looking yeah, thing that yeah. came out? Okay. And they mentioned that the bone white armor comes from them intervening and blocking death blows to their charge. Like whoever they're protecting, if they prevent or intervene with from a death, death dealing blow, they receive bone white armor as part of their uh, recognition. Very cool. That being said, I don't see any uh, bone white on this guy's Terminator armor. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll see some of that soon. So I, I think it's just part like increasing of the fluff and adding on to it. Not that 
being in a death wing, not having bone white art isn't necessarily a fluff issue at all. Right. He could have just gotten started. Out. Certainly not in the, where we are in the heresy. Right? Mm, that's oh, true. Yeah. yeah. Very little would be uh, interfering with the space Marines at that point. Cool. So yeah, that's that. All right, guys. Well, thank you, Jesse, so much for, for being on and being a guest lecturer on the heresy grad school. Thanks for hosting us in the, uh, the bowels of yeah. the ventral spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Where the beer flows freely <laughs> and the... So what other little minor spoilers did I give to you guys today? What did I say on the cast? In Lionel Johnson's Primark novel. Um, talk about the keys. Mm-hmm. Unlocking. I mentioned about the interactions with the Mechanicum. Yeah, and that if the Mechanicum, the Mechanicum ever rose up, they'd uh, have to deal with the Dark Angels. Mm-hmm. Trying to think, I think that's a give us one more spoiler. Give us one more spoiler. Um, so this might be a uh, I'll bring it here in a second. So a little sneak peek of what the lion may have as far as war gear, yeah, for his uh model. He has a lion sword, of course, and I'm gonna find it here in a second. Talk amongst yourselves because I will find it perfect. Here we go. So his weapon, his ranged weapon, is called the Fusil Actinaeus. Oh, yeah. Your they, mom's a fusil actinase. And they put it in italics, so you know that it's serious business. Right. Every time I mention it, it's fusil actinase. Oh, yeah, in italics. And a, a quick snippet of what he's doing with it. For a split nanosecond, a blue-white ribbon of plasma connected each of the fusil actinase's twin barrels to the puppet captain before a sunfire explosion incinerated a man-sized sphere of the hallway. Armor glass flashed, brittle, and shattered. Rock ran like Prometheum. Tapestries disappeared like so much smoke. With its origins in the dark years of old Earth, the Fusil Actinaeus' destructive capabilities far exceeded the modern plasma weapons mass-produced by the forges of Mars. So, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a parallel from a different Primarch's weapon, the Lantern from mm-hmm. uh, Mortarian. Wow, I have it's blank okay. there. Sorry. <laughs> and like the description of it, and it's either like book two or book three. I want to think. Actually, no, it's Flight of the Eisenstein because there's the whole them fighting and like the sisters of silence being there as well before all of the shenanigans of Istvan happened. Um, and it's described as like just a beam of light that, mm-hmm. that goes across distances and just scours the land kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, we, uh, I talked with, uh, Austin Carroll the other day about this on our, uh, little sign episode we were doing. I think if I had to guess from that description, He's probably toting around some sort of handheld plasma cannon. Yeah. It's about a sphere, so probably some... It's better than most plasma weapons. Probably Strength 8, AP2, Small Blast, Assault 2. I don't know. It mentions it has twin barrels, but I doubt it's twin-linked. I'd imagine it'd have more than a single shot. Mastercrafted, maybe. Mastercrafted. Yeah. Assault 2. Just fun to think about. But like I said, this book also does mention the Cenobites and the the Interrupters which are the new models that came out. So I'm looking and trying to scour and see what other type of uh, hints that they're dropping of what models and war gear I can look forward to seeing. So pretty cool. Now we're, we're all in here guys. So the Remembrancers <laughs> retreat, in addition to talking about the black books and the new releases and sort of lore rabbit holes, um, Caro, I think is going to be 
Um, starting uh, another series, which is going to be Heresy Book Club. So keep your eyes out for that because it's going to be really fun. Um, coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. You'll be able to sort of... In the GW sense. Yeah. But it's coming. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think it'll be fun because uh, book clubs are fun. And and uh, being able to read along and then, and then listen to and, and have some... You know, um, people will ping things off of is always good. Mm-hmm. And Carol travels often, and she's always re- bringing the books with her on flights and stuff. So she's definitely she probably it. knows the books better than I do at this point. And yeah, yeah, in all seriousness, very cool, man. But um, Jesse, again, thank you so much for being on, man. Thank you for for hosting us. Not a problem. Um, I think uh, real quick, we're gonna do. Plugs, Dave. You got anybody? I do. Um, I talked a little bit about this last time, but I think Jesse's going to help me out on this. Mm. Uh, we have our first sort of official sponsor of the Heresy Grad School um, and the Remembrancers Retreat. Uh, Jesse, I can't say this. Felt hair. Felt hair. Felt hair. Uh, uh, foam. Yeah, yeah. They're they're very cool. They've they've reached out, and we've sort of reached out and. Um, right now it's a, a five euro discount. Um, anybody can use it multiple times. Um, and you know, if you guys use it and you show them that you listen and you like their stuff, you know, maybe we can get you one better. I think it's like five euros off of 30 or something like five that. euros off of 50 euros oh. or more. So 10% if you use the minimum. Still, yeah. most oh. of us are going to be buying big cases. And so that it pro- works out. And that promo code is heresy 2020. Very Use cool. the promo code Heresy twenty twenty at the on the Feldhair website. They're European, so our European listeners probably get pretty good at. Yeah, that'd be a yeah. great effect deal out of this because they get free shipping as well. Yeah, on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in Europe, uh, Feldhair will ship for free, so that's just a five euro discount for you guys. Um, at least the way I understand it. So very yeah, cool. Depending on where you are in Europe and how much you order. Okay. And yeah. they're based off of Germany. So the closer you are to Germany, the cheaper you spend to get that free shipping. Cool. But uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Jesse, you got anybody? I mean, not, nothing necessary, but I have the uh, the whole spiel that I give out at the end of every episode. I don't know if you guys do it or not. Uh, we're not as religious, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you're here in the eventual spirit... We're going to do this. We're going to do it right, and damn it. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. Um, if you are, if you like this content and want to support us, you can consider becoming a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash rr30kpodcast. You can sign up, become one of our members. We'll give you a Teespring discounts, fun swag every periodically. You get to vote on upcoming Horace Heresy grad school topics. Um, I'd like to thank our praetors. Alex Self, Chris Mack, Jacob Dillon, Garner.Tree of Woe, Jason Tick, Joe from Music City Heresy, Josh Phillips, and Matthew Boyce. Thank you all so much. These are our top-tier patrons, and we definitely appreciate it. Coming up with our Centurions, we have Andrew N., Angry Boy, Black Label Painting, Derek Knoll, John Christensen, M. Hernandez, Mark Henry, Minis by Applesauce, and Fortnite. Again, thank you all so much. And our Legion Sergeants, Aaron Maynard, Duncan, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, and Travis Smith. Again, thank you to everyone becomes a patron we sincerely appreciate it and when we hit 25 patrons we're going to have a saber tank giveaway oh, wow how close are we to that right now we are Jesse? 22 patrons yeah we just three need more. three more yeah it is nuts again thank you all so much and again uh you can check out our phone line if you want to leave a voicemail at 1929 heresy one that's 1929 437 3791 
Also, be sure to check out rr30k.com for our website. You can follow us on Instagram at Remembrancers Retreat, on Facebook and Twitter at rr30k podcast. And uh, that's everything I have. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you got anything? So, not plugs so much as things you should probably go check out. Uh, the two things I was pulling info from for the uh, Dark Angel hosts earlier. Uh, first off, Angels of Caliban by yeah. Gav Thor. Uh, I know some folks think he's a little hit or miss. I'll give you that. But uh, Angels of Caliban is a pretty deep lore bomb. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, fun fact, I think this was probably for the release of the Dark Angels Codex in 7th edition. But uh, in December of 2017, uh, Games Workshop, it's still on the Warhammer community page, uh, put out this pretty neat article called The Secret Orders of the Dark Angels. That's the one that... Uh... That Dave was taking taking a look at. Yep. Yeah. It's a fun stuff. little thing. Yeah. So check those two things out. And uh, Jesse beat, my, beat me to my plug, but if you guys really enjoy everything we do, please. I'm sorry. I patron just do us. It. No, 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 no. I, definitely a, more professional than I. Here, let me reread it. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but no, thank you everyone for listening, whether you're a patron or not. Um, we, we love doing this, and I guess you guys love hearing our voices. So. Uh, thanks again, and because we're in the bowels of a ventral spirit, I can't tell Craig to fuck off. It's real sad. It's true. Yeah. Well. All right, guys. We'll be back next time with the final conclusion of the Xana Incursion, Lesson 6. Uh, so uh, come back and join us. See you next time. Final episode. Oh, so good. Have a good night, everybody.